Hello and welcome to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you very much indeed for tuning into this episode. I have a bit of good news before we begin. It's all been going on here at Peter Mackay Motorsport HQ over the last week or so. Over the last week or so, I've actually had my first article published in Autosport, no less. Now, for me as a kid, I used to love Autosport Thursday when my mum very kindly took me down to the local paper shop where I could buy the latest edition of Autosport Weekly and I would you know pour over it looking at all the pictures of Mac- Colin McRae on the rally stages, Rickard Rydell and John Cleland in British touring cars and so on. I just loved reading Autosport so for me to have a story that I wrote about Colin McRae in his uh, his brief exploits with the Skoda World Rally team published in a publication like Autosport was a real moment of pride for me. So you can check it out on Autosport's website. Um, you'll you'll see it there. It's actually on the front page when you when you come in, which is which is really really cool for for me. The second part is is that I've been confirmed to do the commentary for the Porsche Club of Great Britain Sim Racing Championship. Of course, Sim Racing, online racing through things like Assetto Corsa, Gran Turismo and iRacing and so on, are basically all the motorsport we have right now. And all the leading drivers all over the world have either already had Sim setups in their house for many years and many have have had to rush to get them installed to take part in all these online races that we've been seeing. And the Porsche Club of Great Britain, who have a very um, busy calendar of real-world motorsport, which of course has been put on pause right now, they've now got an online championship going. So that will get started very soon, and I will share share with you how that's going uh, over the next few weeks. But what are we going to talk about in today's episode? Well, today we're going to talk about Le Mans. Now, we talk about the Le Mans 24-hour race a lot on this podcast, and for good reason. It's an iconic race, and for many, it is the race to win in global motorsport. It's it's part of the unofficial triple crown of the Indianapolis 500 IndyCar race, the Monaco Grand Prix Formula 1 race, and, of course, the Le Mans 24 hours. And that's what Fernando Alonso is desperately trying to compete. He's complete. He's now got the... He's won Le Mans twice... He's won the Monaco Grand Prix and now he's going to try and finish it by winning the Indy 500. No, (laughs) no easy feat at all. But this, but what we're going to talk about particularly in this episode is about Le Mans 2015 and Porsche's return to the winner's circle after 17 years. Now, Porsche coming back into the sport in 2014 with their amazing new 919 hybrid LMP1 car and winning is not so much of a surprise. You know, Audi had dominated Le Mans for so many years, um, but Porsche have got such a heritage in the sport. And of course, they'd never really left. They always, always had a presence in the GT category, but they hadn't won outright since 1998. Um so, as I say, the surprise of, of Porsche winning on their second attempt backed with the 919 Hybrid in 2015 was not so much of a surprise, but the story behind the three drivers that drove that car, that won, is absolutely fascinating to me. And 
The great thing was, was that in 2014 when Porsche returned, they had two cars. They had two full-time cars. But in 2015, they added a third car as almost a way of a contingency plan if the front two had hit problems, which often can be the case at Le Mans. So it was very much a car that wasn't expected internally to win, um, at both within Porsche and around the sport. But the three drivers who took that car to victory in 2015 all have a fascinating story to tell. So that's what we're gonna we're gonna talk about today about Nick Tandy, Earl Bamber, and Nico Hulkenberg, and their very different paths to the cockpit of that amazing Porsche 919 hybrid and winning at Le Mans. So we'll start with El Bamber. El Bamber nowadays, the Kiwi is a full-time Porsche factory driver and has won most of the big endurance races all over the world. But prior to this big victory, his first big victory at Le Mans in 2015, his his fortunes were quite different. Now, El Bamber's story um, is very, very typical and it's one that we, we hear so much in motorsport. What I mean by that is is that you know, El Bamber was incredibly successful in junior single-seater categories. He won the 2006 Formula BMW Asia Championship, you know, grew up on a farm in, in Wanganui, went go-karting, uh, actually learned a lot of his go-karting skills from Brendan Hartley, who was also a Porsche factory driver at the time. But, but El Bamber... Typical example of a, a brilliant, talented young man who did so well in junior, junior single-seater racing but just simply ran out of money and had to stop racing. And in 2011, he moved to Malaysia um, to try and further his career. Uh, and in Malaysia, he worked at the Sepang International Circuit as a driving instructor, as a high-speed racing instructor, basically, which many um, many up-and-coming racing drivers will, will do as a way of supplementing their income and trying to get a, a new drive. So while he was teaching there, he met a gentleman called Adrian De Silva. Now, Adrian De Silva is, is, um, is a Malaysian um, shipping tycoon, but also a very keen amateur racer. And he'd come to the circuit to receive instruction to try and improve his skills. And Earl was his instructor. And Earl and Adrian became very good friends quite quickly. And um, Adrian learned that Earl had been a very successful um, single-seater racing driver, but was just really struggling to get a, get the opportunity to prove what he could do behind the wheel. So Adrian said, okay, well, I've got my, my Porsche Carrera Cup car here with me and it's got two seats. Why don't you take me out? And of course, Earl Bamber took him around the circuit at absolutely breathtaking speed and Adrian De Silva couldn't quite believe what he was seeing and immediately he felt that he had to help this young man out. He had to help Earl out. You know, he's only 21 moved away from home, living in Malaysia, and he felt he, he could do something about it. So managed to acquire an old second-hand 997 GT3 Cup car uh, to compete in the, the Carrera, Porsche Carrera Cup Asia. And the, the budget that they assembled to take part in this championship was so modest that actually a lot of the time they were using second-hand tyres. They didn't have the budget to even have a full quota of tyres for the year. But Earl did exactly what he was capable of doing. He got into this old car, he went there with uh, a small team and went and won the championship in his very first year. 
And of course, that that win in the Carrera Cup Championship of Asia in 2013 opened up a few more opportunities in 2014. In 2014, he went on to win the Carrera Cup Asia once more for the second time, but he also won his class at the the prestigious Bathurst 12-hour race. He came second at uh, Petit Le Mans, which is the, the, the season final for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in America, came second in the GTLM Pro category, uh, and also became the Porsche Global Super Cup champion. So at this point, Earl Bamber is very much a name that's come onto the radar of the Porsche factory. But despite all of that success, even in the early weeks of December, running up to Christmas, I read a, I read an article in the New Zealand Herald online a, a couple of days ago when researching this episode. And uh, I think it was published on something like the 10th of December. And at that point, at the point of writing at that point, Earl Bamber still did not know if he was going to be getting a Porsche factory con- contract, which really for any professional racing driver this side of Formula One... Uh, is really the golden ticket to become a Porsche factory driver. But just before Christmas, he got the call from Porsche that yes, he would become a fully-fledged Porsche factory driver, but not only that, he would be going to Le Mans in the 919 hybrid to compete for outright victory. So in, in less than two seasons, you know, 24 months before this point, Earl was basically sleeping on friends' couches and working as a high-performance high driving instructor. And for an ambitious young racing driver, that's seen as failure, basically. Um, so he, you know, he, was, he was really struggling to make it in his career and trying to get to where he wanted to be. But Adrian De Silva came to his rescue and, and gave him the opportunity, just a, the slightest opportunity, you know, opened the door ever so slightly for Earl, and Earl just booted the door open, came through and proved exactly what he was capable of behind the wheel, particularly behind the wheel of a Porsche GT car. But to get such an early call-up, so, you know, six months later, he'd be taking to the start line of the most prestigious race in the world in in endurance racing, the Le Mans 24 Hours. And not only that, in the most sophisticated racing car ever built, the Porsche 919 Hybrid built to the LMP1 Hybrid rules, which basically generated some of the most extraordinary creations we've ever seen in motorsport. You know, Audi had a, a turbo diesel hybrid electric um, car. The a Porsche was a V4 petrol with a, an electric um, hybrid element. And these cars, I mean, they're basically the top class of the LMP1. There was billions of euros of cars competing. So for a driver who'd only just, who's only 12 months ago, he was driving a second-hand cup car in Asia, to be going to that is just an extraordinary turnaround. However, Earl's early, uh, his first drive as a fully paid up Porsche factory driver was at the prestigious Rolex 24 hour at Daytona in January. And unfortunately, driving the, the GTLM Porsche factory pro car, uh, the 911, unfortunately had an incident with his teammate in the early stages of the evening of the race. And unfortunately, both cars were taken out of the running. So it couldn't have gone off to a worse start. But my goodness me, when he got to Le Mans, having only had one race in the car, they had a warm-up race at Spa a couple of months before Le Mans. But when they took to the start... All three of these drivers had very little experience of this 919 hybrid. 
Nick Tandy, the second man in the car, um, a, a Britain born uh, in Bedfordshire uh, in, in, in the United Kingdom. He, by the point, by the time they came round to Le Mans 2015, Nick Tandy had proven himself to Porsche. He'd been a factory driver since 2013. But Nick Tandy's route to the top of um, sports car racing is also equally as curious as Earl Bamber's. Because although Earl Bamber started off in the more conventional route of karting and then into single-seaters, and then off on a slightly different path after that, Nick Tandy was not a karting protégé whatsoever. He actually started off on short ovals, so basically stock car racing here in the United Kingdom. Small, short ovals, half a mile or so, um, sometimes even less than a quarter mile ovals. And he started off racing in stock cars at 11 years old. And to be so tough, I mean, that's a really tough, gritty form of motorsport. And he took took to that like a duck to water. And he followed in the footsteps of his brother, Joe Tandy, who was also a very, very good racing driver as well. Again, who came through the, the short oval scenes. But sadly, um, in 2009, Joe Tandy, Nick's older brother, was killed in a road traffic accident. And at that point, Joe had taken up the, he'd taken up the role of um, helping his younger brother, Nick, to, to come up through the single-seater ranks and had been helping Nick through Formula Fords and um, actually into, into British Formula 3, where Nick actually raced against Daniel Ricciardo, who's now, of course, a you know, Formula 1 superstar. But Nick, you know, progressed all the way through stock car racing. He he won the prestigious to the, the the prestigious Formula Ford Festival in two thousand and seven, which is still regarded as one of the real, um, you know, blue ribbon junior events to win. And he did it with with no family funding at all. I mean, nowadays in motorsport, really, without some form of of you know family finance behind you, it's almost impossible even to turn a wheel in global motorsport now. Um, and it, unfortunately, the, as the years roll by, it's just getting harder and harder um, to, to do that. You, you know, you look at guys like Lando Norris, Max Verstappen, um, Lance Stroll, they're coming through the sport with a lot of finance behind them, particularly Lando Norris and, uh, and Lance Stroll with very, very rich families um, with, with large reserves of money. And of course, of course, the money is only one aspect of it. You still need just as much skill as the next person. There's, you know, Lando Norris has earned his place on the grid, make no mistake. But without that funding, it's very difficult to get started. So Nick Tandy's route to this 2015 Le Mans victory was just quite exceptional. Now, the third driver was always um, a little bit more of a wild card. So, of course, Earl Bamber and Nick Tandy were f f full-time Porsche factory drivers, as they remain to this day. The third driver was a German called Nico Hülkenberg, who of course has spent nearly a decade in Formula One. Now, in 2010, Nico Hülkenberg came into Formula One with the Williams Formula One team with much fanfare around him. He'd been an absolute karting superstar, won so many titles through junior karting. He was coming into Formula One as the reigning GP2 champions. That's the, the, the very last step on the ladder before Formula One. And if you win the GP2 championship, you are something special uh, in indeed. Um, so he had he had it all around him, but he stayed in the Formula One Championship from 2010 right up until the end of last season in 2019. 
But unfortunately, Nico Hulkenberg will, will not be racing in Formula 1 in 2020 after losing his drive with the Renault team. Now, despite having such brilliant talent and such brilliant ability behind the wheel, Nico Hulkenberg, unfortunately, uh, is looking like going down in history as the best driver never to score a Formula 1 podium, which, of course, is the worst possible accolade you would want to have attached to as a racing driver. However, he will also go down in history as one of the three drivers that won Le Mans and took Porsche back to the victory lane for the first time in 17 years. Now, at the time, back in 2015, Nico Hülkenberg was driving for the Force India Formula One team. And, of course, at this point, the uh, Formula One paddock had had their first year using hybrid powertrain. So Nico Hülkenberg had that very useful experience of driving a hybrid-powered racing car before getting behind the wheel of the Porsche, because he was used to it in Formula One. And Force India very kindly gave him the leave to go and do the preliminary race uh, at Spa and then the Le Mans 24 hours itself. And very commendable that they allowed to do that because usually in a as you know a sport like Formula One was so politically driven and so much money at play, often the drivers are very restricted in what they can do. But Force India were good enough to let Nico Hülkenberg go and compete in the Le Mans 24 hours. And when the race got going, I mean, nobody was really looking at this car, car number 19. Porsche came to the 2015 Le Mans 24 hours with three cars. They had a red car with Timo Bernhard, Mark Webber and Brendan Hartley. It was arguably the the, the favourite. That was uh, car 17. Car 18, they had Romain Dumas, uh, Mark Lieb and um, I can't remember who the third driver was now. Forgive me, I'll have to come back to you on that one. And that was the black car. And the uh, and then the white the white car was um, a car nineteen with Earl Bamber, Nick Tandy, and Nico Hulkenberg. And as the race got going, it was a, a, an absolute classic battle started to begin between Porsche and Audi. In particular, the Audi of um, Marcel Fazler. Andre Lotterer and Benoit Trelier, who's who were going for a record four wins in a in in, in a, as a trio, which would have been an all-time record for them. But nobody expected the number nineteen car to attack and to beat the whole field. And where it really turned around, and where the car nineteen trio really stamped their authority on the race, was during the night. They often say at Le Mans, it's during the night when you really see the big moves happen. And often, if you go to the race or if you're watching the race on TV, you know you stay up as late as you can. But eventually, you'll probably drop drop off to sleep at least for a few hours. But when you wake up, the race is often changed in complexion completely. And you're like, where's car one gone? Where's car 10 gone? Oh no, what's happened? And what happened during the night was Nick Tandy drove one of the finest stints ever seen at Le Mans. You know, Nick Tandy got behind the wheel and did what did a quadruple stint. So four set, four basically four tanks of fuel um, in, in the car throughout the night. And during his time behind the wheel, he averaged... 0.8 seconds per lap faster than any other car and that was the key to the race Nick Tandy's absolutely mega stint during the night 
and when they emerged from the evening, as the sun came up about 7.30 in the morning, the number 19 car of Nick Tandy, Nico Hulkenberg and El Bamber held a two-minute lead on the field, which they never, they never ever relinquished. And it was actually it was Formula One man Nico Hulkenberg who was lucky enough to be the man. He was the one given the honour to take the car over the start-finish line. And I remember... I remember when I, I met Ryan Diel to, to interview him at the Rolex 24-hour race uh, in January this year, and he won Le Mans in 2012 and was given the opportunity to take the finish line. And he said, he says, without a, without a shadow of a doubt, taking the chequered flag to win Le Mans is the greatest moment of, of my life. And I can imagine it must have been similar for, for Nico, Nico Hulkenberg. And what was really cool, if you watched the the race back, you see Nico Hulkenberg approaching the final couple of corners and right on the right at the final corner, the Porsche Hospitality was completely full of people with everyone out on the balcony. It was just about to start to rain and you saw everyone out in the balcony popping champagne corks and filling up the glasses ready to celebrate a 17th victory after 17 years away from the winner's circle. So they would so there you go. Car nineteen had become the winner of the eighty third Le Mans twenty four hours. What was what was also exceptional was that Audi had won the last five years uh, of of the race and it had been obviously been so long since Porsche had won. So Porsche had come back, developed this car from scratch, uh, gathered together an amazing group of drivers and went on to win. But what this victory meant, particularly for Nick Tandy and for El Bamber, it meant an incredible amount. It announced them to the world, particularly for El Bamber as well, I think, uh, as real um, world-class racing drivers. You know, El Bamber knew how good he was. He knew what he was capable of. But you always need to try and get that opportunity, and he never gave up to get that opportunity. And you, you just when when um, one of the traditions at Le Mans is when the winning car comes into the pit lane and actually drives the opposite way down pit lane, and the 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 driver who's taken the car over the line they stay in the car, of course, and then uh, their two teammates will actually get onto the car. Usually it's a prototype car, of course, so the two the two drivers will hop onto both of the wings and they'll just sort of crawl through the pit lane with the, with the whole team on the car. And it's one of those just always an iconic shot of the Le Mans 24 hours. And to see just the joy on both Nick Tandy and um, Earl Bamber's face is, is so heartwarming and so brilliant to see them uh, achieve that. And I actually think that that particular, that particular car and its three drivers really deserve a, a prime spot in Porsche's glittering, almost endless history in motor racing. So that is uh, all we have for you uh, this uh, for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this story about Porsche coming back to Le Mans and winning in 2015 and the drivers that did it. If you'd like to get in touch with us uh, on the show, you can do via Instagram, which is at Peter Mackay Motorsport. You can also follow us on Facebook, which is just the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast, or via Twitter, which is at Mackay Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe via your chosen podcast platform. Thank you very much for listening, and I look forward to speaking to you very soon.